day to everyone. If you have your Bible, please open it to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to be focusing on verse 12 today. John 15, verse 12. A mother's love for her child is like nothing else in the world. It knows no law, no pity. It dares all things. It crushes down remorsefully all that stands in its path, writes Agatha Agatha Christie in her book, The Hound of Death. A mother's love crushes down all that stands in its path. That's powerful. Love. Today, mothers are, are being celebrated for their long-suffering love. They're being celebrated for a love that dares all things, a love that crushes down whatever stands in its path. One psychologist says that a mother's love is bliss, it's peace. It need not be acquired. It need not be deserved. If it is there, it is like a blessing. If it is not there, it is as if all the beauty of life, it is all the beauty had gone out of life not to have a mother's love. A mother's love is beautiful, but yet all mothers are just like the rest of us. They love because they have been loved. The reason that there is nothing like a mother's love is because her love should point you to the love of another if it's done right. You see, I have a great mom who who sacrificed much for me and my siblings growing up. Working our jobs, working two jobs. She was a hard-working mom to make sure we had food and things to eat. But for all of her sacrificial love, there was one thing her love could not do for me. It could not crush my sin. It could not make me right with God. She prayed for me. And she did. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm here today. But it could not rescue my soul. There is only one whose love can do that. And that is the love of Jesus. And if you remember from last week, I said there are two sides to the love of Christ. Two sides to his love for us. It's a sacrificial love, yes. But it's also an authoritative love also. Every mother and and every person here must continue to embrace both sides of the love of Christ. For as you embrace his love, you can extend his love to others. Moms, you want to be a good mom that loves well? Then embrace Jesus' love for you first. And you can extend that love to others. And the same is true For everyone, if you want to love well, embrace Jesus' love for you. He wants his love to overflow out of you onto others. And that's what he says here in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Please pray with me. Father God, 
right now do not believe the gospel at this moment. I got a lot of unbelief going on right now. Even as I preach this word, I I have unbelief in my heart right now. But I bring it to you. I ask you to minister to me, to my heart, to my mind, to my emotions. And help my unbelief. And I pray that your spirit will preach through me today, that he will take these words and and let it fall on, on someone's heart who needs to hear it. And I pray and plead that you would move. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Jesus wants his people to love like he loves. He, he wants you to extend this love. In fact, he, he commands you to extend love to others. This is my commandment. This is my command that you love one another. As I read, read through John, I realized that John 13, 34 is it's the first time in John's gospel that Jesus gives the disciples a command. The first time he commands them to do something. In John 13, he says, a new command I give you. And when you look up the, the, the Greek term for command, it can mean three different things. It can mean an order, it could be a charge, it could be a precept. And, and in John 13, 34, and in John 15, 12, Jesus is giving his disciples and you a precept. A precept is a rule that that is intended to regulate behavior or thought. One commentator says, a precept is a rule made by Jesus, illustrated by his own life, for the regulation of the conduct and inner attitude of the disciples toward Christ, toward one another, and toward the world. Last week I said Jesus was not a fair-weather friend who, who abandons you when, when life gets hard, but, but he's there. Remember? He doesn't abandon you when life gets hard. But, over, but at the same time, he's not a pushover parent either. Who kids runs over them because the parents won't set boundaries. Please understand that Jesus sets boundaries for his people. He sets limits for us. And if you have saving faith in Christ, and if you are in a relationship with Christ, then he gives you precepts to regulate your conduct and the inner attitude of your heart. Why does he do that? Why does he give us these precepts? The same reason that good parents set limits on their kids. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. The fact that a mom will not let her son play in the road. The same reason Jesus gives you precepts and rules in your life. Because he loves you. He sets limits on you. He sets boundaries for us. Two sides to his love. Sacrificial love, it points us to his finished work on the cross. His authoritative love points us to his precepts. It says, this is how I want you to now live. He himself told the disciples, if you love me, you will do what? What would you do if you love him? You will keep my commands. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. So what are Jesus' commands? What are his precepts? It's really just one command. 
It's really just one precept, and that's to love. It's love. A new command that I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus gives the disciples and you a precept to extend love to God, to one another, to the world. And there's a particular way he wants you to love, just as he has loved you. Let those words penetrate your your hearts and minds. For he doesn't want you to, to, to love others the way you think is best. He doesn't want us to love others the way the world loves. You are to love like Jesus loves. It's a Christ-centered love because Jesus is the source and foundation of it. It's a Christ-centered love. There are four Greek terms for love used in the Bible. One is for affection. One is for friendship. One is for erotic love. One is for charity. Which one do you think Jesus is using right here in John 15? Which one? Affection, friendship, erotic, charity. Which one do you think? It's charity. That is agape love. Jesus wants you to extend agape love to others. Let me put it like this. He wants you to extend a mother-type love to everybody. The way a mother loves her child is the way Jesus wants you to love everybody. That type of love. That type of love. A constant, a keep on loving, a a self-sacrificing love. You see, agape love is an active love. It is a decisive act to show love. It's a love that doesn't abandon. It's a love that brings forth caring regardless of the circumstances. It doesn't give up. As Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love that Jesus calls us to extend to others. He says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone will lay down his life for his friends. That's love, and that is hard to do. Who are you laying down your life for at this moment? Who? First John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For the brothers and sisters in the faith. What would you lay down for your fellow believers? What would you lay down for them? Out of love for them. But this is what Jesus calls us to do, to, to extend this type of love to one another. It's a love that is self-sacrifice. A love that does not give up. A love where you lay down your life on behalf of other people. And loving this way is hard to do. It's not something you can just put on a to-do list. It's not. In John 13, Jesus does something that many of us would not do. But it gives us a picture of what 
It means to love as he loves. And many of you know what Jesus did in John 13. Here's John 13. I'll read it. It says, Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already uh, put in the heart of Judas to Simon's son to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he, had, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. And when he laid aside his outer garment, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wash them with the towel he had wrapped around them. Now verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he, he put on his outer garment, resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done for, to you? You call me teacher. Lord, you right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Are we greater than Jesus? Are we? Then whose feet are you washing? Keep in mind, they didn't have sneakers in the first century church. They had sandals, because you can imagine what type of feet he was washing. And not only that, he also washed the feet of the one who would one day betray him. That's love. That's loving like Jesus loved. I told you it was hard. It's hard. What are you willing to lay down? Whose feet are you currently washing? Are you loving others as Jesus still loves you? Laying down your life is not necessarily talking about you taking a bullet for someone. But it's talking about laying down certain things because of other people. Certain rights that you think you're entitled to. Certain privileges you think that you are entitled to. Well, I always sit in that chair. Well, I always do this. We've always done it this way. What it is in your life that you need to lay down and sacrifice out of love for someone else? What is it? We all have those things. We all have preferences. We all have things we feel that we're entitled to. And what Jesus is saying, are you willing to lay those things down? out of love for others. If you're not, then you're not loving like me. If you're not loving as I have loved you and still love you. This is a sacrificial love that he's calling us to extend to others and it does not come to us naturally. I believe it has to be produced in us and, and, and Jesus says in, in verse 16 of chapter 15, he says, oh, I lost my spot. Great. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. One theologian says, for us to be at one with those who are like us is easy. Think about that. 
for you to be at one with those who are like you, where you're part of the same culture, same ethnicity. It says it's easy to be at one with those type of people. But to be at one with who, those who are unlike us is only possible if a profound unity underlines surface differences. He says Cicero, pagan though he was, made, a wild, made the wise observation that love surpasses friendship and that while friendship is esteemed for one another who agrees with you, love is esteemed for one another who differs from you. Who differs from you. This profound unity that should underline all of our differences is Christ himself. We know that to be true. He empowers you to love sacrificially. Because you can't do it apart from him. Francis Schaeffer says, love is internal, not external. There will be external manifestations of it, but love is always, will always be an internal factor. He's right, because it has to be produced in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit, is what love is. It is produced in you. And that is what Jesus is getting the disciples to think about. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to have fruit that abide, and the fruit that will abide is the fruit that flows from love. For love. And he tells them in, in Matthew 17, a healthy tree bears what type of fruit? Good fruit. A bad tree bears what type of fruit? Bad fruit. And so if you are in Christ, then you are going to bear certain fruit in your life. That's going to be produced in your life. And one of them is love. One of them is love. It has to be grown in your heart as you abide in Christ. How? He tells them, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So you can take that verse to make it mean, well, I can ask God for a lot of money, then he'll give it to me. But if you look at it in context, that's not what he's implying. Ask him for the fruit. Ask him for the fruit. Because if you're in line with Jesus, then what you pray for is going to be in line with his will too. Ask him to produce the fruit in your life. Why? Because he says in verse 1, my father is a vine dresser. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So that means if you're looking at your life and you're like, I'm not loving well, then you need to ask the father to prune your heart. And sometimes that ain't easy. Before you pray that prayer, no, it's going to be painful. Because when you prune a branch, what do you use to prune it? You get a tool and you cut it. You cut it. You hurt the plant to prune it. And so when God's pruning your life, when he's pruning your heart, you are going to get uncomfortable. It's going to be very uncomfortable. You're going to get challenged on stuff. Challenged on cultural preferences. Challenged on things that you think should be the, that your way is the white right way all the time. He's going to challenge all those things. Because if you're going to love like he's loved, then he's going to have to prune your heart to do that. Otherwise, it will not happen. So, I ask you, do you surely want to ask the Father to help you to love like Christ? Because if he begins to work on you, it's going to be very, very uncomfortable. But it's good. It's necessary. Because when he prunes us, that means I'm going to have Difficult circumstances. He's going to bring certain people into my life that I don't like. 
And you know why they're in your life? Because you don't like them. And God is trying to teach you something. Love that person. You're going to love that person. You're going to love them. At this moment, each of us have people in our life that is hard to love. Co-workers, friends, whatever, family, family members. It could be your own mother for all I know. Certain people in our life that is hard to love. Will you ask the Father to prune your heart to help you to love them as Jesus loves you? You have to humble yourself here. Humility here to ask the Father to soften your heart. If you truly, truly want to be radical for Jesus, not just read a book about it, love people sacrificially. That'll make you radical. That'll make you radical for Christ. Love people that way. You don't have to reinvent the wheel to love people, but you've got to ask the Father to help you to. Because he needs to prune your heart. The Village Church is a cross-cultural church that strives to walk alongside one another in a spirit of mutual brokenness. We all feel with people who have issues. And if you're here and you don't think you have issues, but you do have an issue, you're just blind to it. Stay here long enough, I'll make it clear to you. But we're all not the same. We don't have the same issues. We come from different ethnicities, different social status, different educational backgrounds, different economic levels, different family makeup, different political views, live in different neighborhoods. We're, we're not many clones. We all are all, we all are cross-cultural church. But at the same time, each and every one of us are culturally biased to our culture. What does that mean, Pastor Alice? It means this. We inherently believe our culture we're doing things is the right way. We all come in there with that baggage. We all believe that our culture we're doing family, our culture we're saying politics, our culture we're saying education, our culture we're saying family should be the right way. Anything else is wrong because I'm not used to that. In a church like ours, please realize all of our cultural preferences would be challenged and our cultural biases would be exposed. And all that's good. It's a good thing. Because the question for us is, is not what the church has to offer you and your kids. The question is what you and your kids are willing to lay down to be part of a church like ours. Because everyone gives up something to be part of a church like this. You see, there are things in every culture that that, I, that needs to be celebrated, and there are things in every culture that needs to be challenged. And we would do both of those in our church by loving like Christ loved in a spirit of mutual brokenness, extending sacrificial love to one another. For your love for one another, the world would know what? They would know what if we love one another well? That you are my disciple if you love one another well. By your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciple. So if you want to know how well you're doing as a believer, don't measure it in quiet times, how many Bible verses you memorize. How well are you loving the person that, that you can't stand? How well are you loving the person that gets on your nerves? How well are you loving that person? 
that'll let you know how well you're doing. If you're not growing in love, then you need to go do business with Jesus. Say, Jesus, prune my heart even more. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be whoever. Who is it? I have a friend on staff of the church who is uh, counseling some families through some changes that are taking place in, in their local school. And what is happening in, this, what is happening in this school is that the school is starting to bus in uh, more minorities to the school. And many of the families that are there are pulling the kids out because they're scared. But, but these families in my friend's church, they haven't yet. They haven't pulled their kids out. They, they're stuck. They're really scared. They, they don't know what to do. Should they pull the kids out or should they stay? And what is happening in this school is what usually happens when the subdominant culture comes into a place filled with the dominant culture. It's called white flight. The minorities come in and majority moves out. My question is, but is that love? Particularly for believers, is that love? My friend told me that in one of the kindergarten classes there, there are only three to four white kids in this class. And this is what I told my friend to tell her parents. I said, what they are experiencing is what every minority experienced all the days of their life, what they're experiencing now. That's our reality. And see, if you're going to be able to love like Jesus loved, then you've got to be able to love cross-culturally, to be able to see life through the lenses of those from a different culture than you. Because only then we truly understand what it's like to be them. What it's like to be them. And that involves realizing that no culture has it right on how to live life. We all have a say-so in what it's like. Because we all are created in the image of God. So are you willing in this church to lay down your culture preferences for one another? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to allow your cultural uh, preferences to be challenged because you love one another? If you're willing to do that, and if we have that type of love for one another, we will work through no matter what issue comes up in this church, we'll get through it. Because there has to be a profound unity that underlines our differences. And if Christ is at the center, not just something that we talk about, but if he's truly at the center, then we will love that way. We will not be divided over cultural issues. Dr. Anthony Bradley, he's a professor up in um, New York, and he says something uh, on Facebook this week. He says, if you're serious about advancing in the art of love, spend time and share meals with the kinds of people you don't want your kids to grow up to become. Think about that. If you're serious about advancing in the art of love, spend time, share meals with the kinds of people you don't want your kids to grow up to become. That's powerful. That's convicting. That's loving like Jesus loves. For guess what? You are that type of person. And Jesus loves you still. And you just forget that. Let us pray. I thank you, Father.
So I am that person you don't want your kids to grow up to become. And I thank you that you stooped down and loved me anyway. Because of your free grace. Because of your free mercy. And if we're going to to be a congregation that truly extends your love to one another sacrificially, Lord, you will have to prune our hearts to do it. To prune our hearts to to wash one another's feet. To prune our hearts to to love uh, this community, to love our coworkers, our neighbors, our spouses, our kids. If we're going to love like Christ loves, you are the vine dresser, Lord. You're going to have to produce the fruit in us. And we know that you will. And we pray and ask that you will. And Father, we, I do thank you that, that there is a, a unity in our congregation. I thank you so much that we are healthy, that there is a genuine love for one another, a caring for one another. And Father, we don't take any of that for granted. We should be grateful. We should be thankful that you are building a, a healthy body of believers in this little body of Christ here in the village. And we give you all the praise for it. And I pray that the love that we have for one another will bear witness to this community and to this city that we are your disciples. And I thank you for all that you do in your son's name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service? Come on, clap your hands, sing it.